0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome home. i um, are glad that you're here today. And for those of you who are joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you're here as well. Um, this is obviously a little different than you're used to. I am not Pastor Kyle. Um, my name is Garrett Stalder. I'm the youth pastor here, if you didn't know. Um, pastor Kyle, Pastor Adam, Pastor H, and Pastor Thomas are all at Pastor and Wives Retreat with their wives. Um, and so I'm the only pastor here. But it's okay. I think it'll be it'll be okay. Um, But yeah, so uh, before we get started today, I just want to tell you guys a quick story from a time when I was a kid. Um, It comes from whenever I was in the eighth grade. You guys know what this is? It's a sled, right? Who in here has gone sledding before? One of your favorite things that you ever like? I sledding when I was a kid was the Best thing I could ever possibly do in my entire life. Like, sledding was the bee's knees. It was the coolest thing. Like, from the time I was the smallest of child, really... I don't remember the last time I went sledding, but I'd like to go. There hasn't been enough snow. But, um... Anyway, sledding, right? Eighth grade, I, um love to go sledding, and my sister decides that we're going to go over to one of her friends' house to go sledding. Well, this is one of those sleds that you can, you know, kind of like tie onto the back of something, and so we decided that it would be a good idea, in all of our eighth grade wisdom, all of my eighth grade wisdom, um, to tie this sled onto the back of a four-wheeler and get tugged around a little bit, you know, so uh, that's what we did. My sister went first, luckily, you know, so I could kind of watch her and observe what not to do if she got hurt. Um... But she goes first and I'm kind of noticing a little bit, you know, on top of her having a really good time and having a lot of fun and laughing and tears streaming down her eyes because of the wind in her face, um, there's snow getting caught on like the edge of it, right? Like up here somewhere and it's blowing up into her face. And so she's getting snow all over herself um, and she's done and it's getting to be my turn. And so I hop on the sled and I'm kind of trying to avoid the snow getting blown in my face, but It was so cold. Like, I was not ready for this sledding experience whatsoever. I was so cold. So, like, we kind of understand what it's like to be cold. Like, some of you guys probably like to sleep, like 62-degree weather. Like, you turn the AC down before you go to bed because you love it being cold, right? Like, that's cold, but some of you like it. And then there's, like, this cold that you just hate from the depths of your heart. You just hate it, right? Whenever it's so cold that you just, there's no way that you, you can't believe in your mind that there's any way to get warm again. Like, maybe I'm a drama queen, but I've felt these cold chills so many times. And this was one of those experiences. This may have been the coldest I've ever been in my entire life. I didn't have gloves on. I didn't have, like, two or three pairs of socks and these nice... Flannel underwear. Can I say flannel underwear from the stage? But um, like, I didn't have any of that stuff. You know, I wasn't prepared. I didn't have a hat. I didn't have any of that. Um, I wasn't ready for this sledding experience. And so, like, I've got snow all over my face and my hand, my fingertips, and my ears are like numb to the point where I think I'm getting frostbite. Like, it's starting. I'm starting to feel numb. Like, I can't feel it at all. And then to top it all off, I run inside and stick my hands underneath hot water. And yeah, you guys know what—some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you want to feel pain, <laughs> stick your hands in hot water after they have like been cold for a long time. That—it's the worst. Anyway, um, I tell you guys that story um, to tell you that yeah, I wasn't prepared at all to go sledding that day. Like pair of jeans, tennis shoes, and a coat. I wasn't ready, like especially for a sledding experience like that. But we can all kind of understand what it's like to be unprepared for certain events. Like whether it's a, a phone call of bad news or it's, I don't know, maybe it was your first child or your last child. Maybe it was a bad grade that you got in school or maybe it was your first or last day of college like it was for me. I just wasn't ready for it. Um, it could be anything along those lines. But we've all kind of faced situations that we haven't been ready for, and those are the most frustrating situations that we get. I mean, that we run into sometimes because when we're not ready, things just they take us by surprise. I mean, it's com- it's completely something that we that we weren't expecting. And so, this passage of scripture that we're dealing with today, right? We're talking about miracles. We've been in this miracle series, but this passage of scripture that we're dealing with today comes from John chapter six, it's verses one through fifteen. If you want to go there and your on your phone or the Bible app or flip there in your Bible, I'll read it to you. But it's the story whenever Jesus feeds the 5,000. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. You know, like typical Jesus, already kind of knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed these people. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers So that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces, filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet that we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away to the hills by himself. This story is just awesome. Right? Like this is one of the coolest stories in the entire Bible, I think. One of the greatest miracles. Like, seriously, Jesus just took this little boy's lunch, this tiny little minuscule itty bitty bit of food, and fed like over five thousand people with it. Like, are you kidding me? That's one of the coolest things in the entire Bible. And you know, in every good story, there's certain pieces that we have to point out, like there's certain aspects of stories that we need to focus on. Um, And every great story has dynamic characters, right? In this story, there's the crowd, right? The the whole crowd of people who were there. Um, There was a crowd that was following him everywhere. And then there was the huge crowd that was starting to come up the hill as they all like kind of surged together. And then there's the disciples, right? The disciples were there. We mentioned two disciples here that aren't mentioned a whole lot in the rest of the Gospels, but two disciples nonetheless. Um, And then... We've got the young boy, right? Kind of the main characters. Jesus is the main character, right? Like, Jesus is always the main character. Like, let's just get that, you know, kind of going. Jesus is the main character, but, like, there's other main characters in the story. So every great story has dynamic characters, and I want to look at a few. The first one that we, I want to look at is the crowd. So this is anywhere from seven to 10,000 people. Right? Because it says that only the men were numbered. And back in the day, that's what they would have done. They would have counted the men, um, but they would have not taken into account the women and the children who were there. And so, anywhere from seven to 10,000 people were there. Sometimes, in some commentaries, they will say it could even be anywhere from ten to 14,000 people, depending on, I mean, considering the Jewish Passover celebration was near, and everybody came to this area of like, Everyone and their dog came to this area for the Jewish Passover celebration. So it could be even more than that. But there was women and children and men there. So it could be more people than just 5,000. And we also need to point out that they came because Jesus was performing miracles. That was their reason for coming to see Jesus on the hillside that day. Because Jesus was performing miracles. right? So it's funny, kind of about the crowd. like They were, they were all there. Right? But they weren't really participating at all. Like they've been following Jesus around for a while, just like the disciples had, but the crowd probably kind of shows up to, to the gig a little bit late. You know, they not, at least they haven't been there for as long as the disciples have been. And they're following Jesus around and they're like, whoa, he's performing all these miracles. He's got all this cool stuff going on. Let's hang out with Jesus. Let's be around Jesus so we can see him do more miracles. Right? And there's something to be said about showing up and being around Jesus so we can perform a miracle for you. Like, I would totally want to see Jesus perform miracles. Like I would want to see him do that. I would totally want to see him take two or five barley loaves and two fish and feed all the people who are in here right now. Like, that would be so cool, right? But that's all the people were doing. They were just spectating. They were just sitting around waiting for Jesus to do something. They didn't want to be any bigger part of the story than just passive recipients to what Jesus had to offer them. And the crowd, really, it kind of goes like this. Everyone wants to eat, but no one brought their lunch. There was one person who brought their lunch, and it was a young boy. Like it's, it's weird how we can kind of begin to expect that Jesus will do something, expect him to do something, but we're not prepared for the time when he does. For example, some of us have an awesome attendance record at church, right? Some of us show up week after week and we go to our small group and we go to our Bible study and we do this and that and our attendance record is awesome, probably way better than mine ever has been, right? But my question is, what if the miracle that you're seeking for, what if it requires more than your presence? Now, don't hear me say, That doing something more than just showing up is going to merit a miracle happening in your life. That's not how this works. But there's this passage of scripture in Matthew 7 that kind of alludes to this idea Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So my question again, what if God is waiting for you to give him more than your presence? So we as a church have started doing this Pray 21 thing, right? Every morning, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m., we gather together to pray for prayer cards, to pray for needs and things that we're kind of expecting and hoping that God will do. It doesn't mean by praying and by fasting, it doesn't mean that God's gonna do something that we want him to do, right? That's idology, that idolatry, that's crazy. It doesn't just mean that God's gonna like poof and do something like magical. If you want a miracle, stop waiting for magic. It's not poof and something happens, right? He's not like he if you want magic, go to a magic show. Like this is God. He performs miracles, he doesn't do magic tricks. Now, like I said before, there's something to be said about showing up and expecting a miracle. Like There's something to be said about the crowd like going and expecting Jesus to do something miraculous. It might even be like something to be said about them coming without their lunch because they really wanted Jesus to feed them. But the fact that they showed up without any preparation, the fact that they came and they had this mindset that they were just going to receive and take and have, it kind of changes the story a little bit once you start to think about it. And you see, a miracle isn't magic. A miracle is a movement of God's power. It's not a magic trick. It's God's intervention in this world changing reality. And so if you want a miracle, don't wait for magic. And here's the point. Showing up ain't enough. What if God is waiting for your participation? Like, What if after you ask, like a miracle begins to take place? What if once you start to seek, a miracle begins to take place? What if whenever you knock on the door and beg God to do something miraculous, like once you come and seek his face and lean into the heart of God, what if that's the catalyst to the miracle that you've been expecting to happen? Like what if you do start to pray about your, the family member that's gone astray? Like what if you do begin to pray about your marriage that's always been hard? What if you do begin to do those things that God may have been asking you to do the whole time, but you feel like you might not have enough time for What if that's the catalyst for God doing something miraculous? But I also have to say, if you're coming to him with the mindset, like the crowd did, only expecting to receive something and get a miracle, there's a good chance you're not going to get what you want. Speaking of mindsets, our second character that I want to point out, or characters, I should say, The disciples. And this is probably my favorite part of the sermon when I was preparing. It's it's a lot of fun because it's kind of like, it's it's just fun. Um, And so Philip, right? Philip's the first disciple that they mention in the story. And it says Philip was baffled. Or I said, like, Philip was absolutely baffled that Jesus would say, where are we going to get enough money? To like, where are we going to get enough money to feed these people? And Philip was like, Jesus, what are you talking about, dude? Like, how are we supposed to feed these people? Are you insane? Like, we've got nothing here. And if, like, we need to work a whole eight months before we can even begin to have enough money to feed these people even a bite. So there was some math done, right? And it, to feed 10,000 people, it would take 16 people working 24 hours a day for eight months to feed them, to give them a full stomach like this miracle says, to have enough money to feed all these people. And I can't even imagine, like, this isn't, McDo- this isn't the McDonald's era, so you can't just, like, go out and buy the food. Like, it has to be in season. Like, where are they going to get, like, there's no way, th- basically, all Jesus is saying and all the disciples are saying is, like, Jesus, this is impossible. And Jesus is like, yeah, like, duh, I'm about to do something good here. Like, come on, get with the program. But, like, Philip was baffled, right? And Andrew was completely skeptical. He was like, here's a small boy's lunch. Here's a five biscuits and two small fish. Like, But where's that going to go? Like we've got seven to ten thousand people here. Like there's no way this is ever going to do anything. Like, and here's the funny thing, is that we we like to do math, you know, as a society. We believe that logic is kind of just the way to go, right? And we look up at this and we're like, all right, yeah, five plus two equals seven, plain and simple. Five biscuits, or five barley loaves, I should say. Two fish. That's seven pieces. Like that's seven pieces of food, right? So if the biscuits are like actual loaves and the fish are like big enough fish to feed more than a young boy, then it might feed two, three people. If you're really rationing, you know, you might be able to feed a small family. It might be enough for a couple of people to get a bite in. But basically, it's impossible at this point to believe that, you know, this small lunch that we've got is going to feed anybody more than this young boy. But what's crazy, especially in this story and in our lives is that we need to begin to see that God's math is different. Instead of 5 plus 2 equals 7, 5 plus 2 can equal 7,000. I don't know if some of you math people are like, what in the heck he's got that up on the screen for? Like, that's ridiculous to believe that 5 plus 2 can equal 7,000. But yeah, like, God can make 5 plus 2 equal 7,000. Now let me explain. Some of us have this idea in our minds that what's always been will always be, right? The math always adds up and it always comes together and it always is what it's like. It's just plain and simple, black and white, like left and right, like this is going to be exactly how it's always been. Like the marriage has always been hard and so the marriage will always be hard. Like my kids have always been gone so my prayers aren't going to change anything. My prayers aren't going to matter really because the way that things have always been are always going to be. I've always been addicted and so there's a good chance that nothing's going to change because I've always been addicted, I'm always going to be addicted. And there's this like, underlying belief that we have in Western culture. Okay, this probably isn't everyone, but it's, it's very entrenched into our culture. That like, black and white is the only way to go. Like We know, without a shadow of a doubt, that 5 plus 2 actually does equal 7. Like 5 plus 2 doesn't equal 7,000. But God's math is what changes our perspective. If we can get past our human way of thinking, we can begin to see God making the impossible possible. We need to have a miracle mindset. We miss miracles happening around us all the time. I believe that with my whole heart. Because we aren't allowing ourselves to believe that 5 plus 2 can actually equal 7,000. And whenever God wants to do a miracle in our hearts, we're not willing to change our mindset to start to believe that God can actually do something that seems impossible to us. What if we pressed in to the heart of God and began to let Him shape a miracle mindset in our minds and in our hearts. What if we got prepared what if we started praying? Instead of just sitting and waiting, expecting him to do something, what if we started praying? And what if we began to let him change our mindset about miracles? What if we let it let God begin to do God math? Instead of just sticking with our own way of thinking. Final character. The young boy. we got to understand, okay? This little boy, he was, he was a young boy. That's all it says. That's all we really need to know. But he was the only one who was prepared. Like, is that not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your life? Like, this... I don't know, maybe seven-year-old kid was the only person to bring his lunch in a group of seven to 10,000 people? Like, does that not... Like, come on! Like, if this was your seven-year-old son or a seven-year-old nephew or a niece or whoever it might be, would they, would they be the only person? No, you would have to pack them a lunch. But this, was, this little boy is the only person to prepare and bring his lunch. That's crazy to believe. Like, it's hard for me to, to wrap my head around. And it kind of alludes to that idea that you hear throughout Scripture. It's a different sermon for a different day. But that childlike faith idea... That like he was, you know, even though he knew Jesus was going to do something miraculous, he still prepared and got ready for it. And what's even crazier about the little boy is that he didn't ask questions. He just gave to the disciples who then gave to Jesus what he had. He just gave it over. He didn't say like, well, but I still need to eat. Are you going to like let me have like two of the loaves and one of the fish so I can eat myself? No, he just gave it over. He didn't ask. He didn't let 5 plus 2 hinder him. He didn't let his old mindset hinder him from Jesus doing something miraculous. You see, what's even crazier about this situation is that this little boy had probably been walking around watching Jesus do miracles for a while. right? He probably had been walking around doing that. But he trusted Jesus with everything that he had. All the food that he had to eat. If the little boy didn't have the lunch, if he didn't give his lunch over to Jesus, then nobody ate. Right? The question is, do you trust him? Are you willing to surrender and give Jesus the thing that you want him to perform a miracle in? Whether it's the tiniest of little bit of food that you believe is so insignificant, nothing's going to change about it? Are you willing to surrender it over to him? Or if it's the biggest deal in your life, you're about to go under, you need to file for bankruptcy, are you willing to trust God with your finances? Your marriage is about to fall apart and you don't know what to do about it. Are you willing to trust God with your marriage? This is the question that the little boy had to ask himself. Do I trust that Jesus is going to be able to do anything with my five loaves and two fish? Do you trust that God can do anything with your situation? Or is your mindset fixated on something else? On the math problems that we know that just everything's black and white. We know what adds up to what. God can't do anything with what I've got. Here's the point. Just give him your lunch. What if we begin to do something more than just showing up? What if we begin to let God usher, like give, like press into us this idea that he can do the impossible? And what if we actually hand over to him that we, the things that we believe need to be changed? What if we actually hand over to him and surrender the things that need a miracle to take place in? God can't do anything with your life, with your marriage, with your friends, with your children, with your spouse like you can't can't do anything with it if you're not willing to surrender it to him. Like he gives us that free will, right? He gives us he lets us do with this life what we want to do. And he wants to be involved. He wants to be so intricately involved in your life that he can just do a miracle and you just give him praise for it. Like it's just like miracle and praise and miracle. And and he wants to bless us and he wants us to praise him and he wants us to have this relationship with him. But if we're not willing to lay down those things that we believe that we need a miracle to happen in, then there's nothing that can be done about it. God can't just force his way into your life, take all the bad stuff out, and then pop out. Like, that's not how this works. This ain't a magic trick. This is a miracle. And so we've got one week of Pray 21 left. It's a sacrifice waking up that early. It hurts. Like, wow, I didn't know. Like, I, I had no idea it was, gonna, it was gonna be this bad. I'm tired. But we have one week left. And instead of coming on Sundays, which this isn't everybody, and just sitting there hoping to receive a word that's going to change your life, why don't you begin to do something with the word that God has given you and with the opportunities that God wants you to be involved in. Why don't you show up at 6 a.m. and pray with us for these cards and pray that your life can be changed and pray... And begin to believe and have a mindset change that God can actually do something miraculous like he does in this story. And then while you're at it, why don't you just give him everything that you've got and surrender everything that you have and give him all of your life because that's what he's calling us to. Are you prepared for a miracle? So before you leave here begin to let God instill in you a different mindset a different math He is the God of impossibility and He can do impossible things and if you will believe Him if you will trust Him with what you have and you will give Him your loaves and your fish Something miraculous might just happen. Don't forget, Pray 21. We've still got one week left. If you want to join us, um, please please come and be with us at 6 a.m. Or join us online. Um, Feel free to do that as well. Um, If you have prayer cards that you took with you to your seat, we've got those buckets at the exits that you can toss those in before you leave. let god do miracles in our lives and the lives of the people in this community start to make miracles happen in this world the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face toward you and give you peace thanks guys